Hey, how's it going? This is Evan Jackson, video production director of New Life Church. Thank you so much for joining us for our podcast today. It's our goal to help you grow in your faith and discover all that God has for you. I hope you're encouraged, challenged, and inspired today. Enjoy the message. All right, let's get into today's. The message today is grace and other good things. (laughs) Grace and other good things. And the big idea of this message is Jesus wants his followers to focus on their own spiritual growth and relationship to God instead of judging others' shortcomings. <laughs> How many people have ever been on the receiving side of judgment from somebody? It's not fun. And I'm telling you, most of the time, whether it's you judging or somebody judging you, there is a level of jealousy in there. You judge somebody because you wish you could have something that they have, or you're not at the place, or you pick at them because you want to take them down a notch because you feel like they're up too many notches, and I I should be up there. So Jesus talks about this in his first section. We're going to start in Matthew chapter 7 today. And as we start out, if you turn your Bible to there, Matthew chapter 7, the demanding nature of the greater righteousness required of Jesus' disciples. This is what we're talking about in the, in the uh, Sermon on the Mount, is this greater righteousness. You know, it's not just enough not to murder. That's good. Don't murder. Don't do that. But Jesus takes it, don't hate. Because if you hate, you've really already committed that murder in an embryonic stage in your own heart. So there's a greater righteousness that Jesus is calling us to. And um, that means we have plenty to do just to take stock of our own spiritual progress. Christians can scarcely afford the time to be judgmental of others. Verses 1 through 6 seem to be united by the theme of how believers treat each other specifically in judging or not judging one another, while verse 7 through 11, which we'll deal with a little later, illustrates how God treats his people, how God treats his people. And then if God treats his people a certain way, and we're supposed to emulate and reflect the glory of this God, then it also gives us an understanding of how we ought to treat one another. So Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. My bookmark is in the complete wrong spot. Come on now. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. And we're going to read 1 through 6. And it goes like this. Do not judge so that you won't be judged. For you'll be judged by the same standard with which you judge others. And you will be measured by the same measure you use. Why do you look at the splinter, or another translation said the speck, in your brother's eye, but don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take out the splinter or speck in your eye. And look, there's a beam of wood in your own eye. 
hypocrite. Now, a few weeks ago, Michael gave a, a full sermon on what it means to be a hypocrite, an actor. So that, that informs this statement. Hypocrite, you're, you're playing around, you're acting like you are more righteous, but you got this big beam <laughs> just like hanging out there, right? Hypocrite. First, take the beam of wood out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. Don't give what is holy to dogs or toss your pearls before pigs, or they will trample them under your feet, turn, and tear you to pieces. Now, I have, I have sat with that verse. What in the world is he talking about? Throwing pearls before swine. And I think, I think I've come up with a, a workable definition or, or uh, idea of what he's talking about. And it's this. Mind your business. That's what it means. Don't throw your pearls before swine. Guess what? When you start criticizing people, when you start preaching at people about things that you have no place preaching about, guess what? They're not going to appreciate it. They're actually going to turn and tear you to pieces. Make sure you know who you're talking to. Make sure you know that there's a relationship that is a basis for that commentary. Just don't go around and start picking on people. Mind your business. Love people and walk them into a closer relationship with God. and Let him and his Holy Spirit do the judging. So that's what we're going to talk about a little bit today, okay? The first thing we want to talk about is grace. Grace. Remember, it's grace and other good things, right? Grace. Even William Shakespeare did a play on this portion of Matthew chapter 7. It's a comedy. It talks about how there's hypocrisy when you start uh, setting up unattainable rules that not even you are able to keep. And who's he talking to here? He's talking to people who are being influenced by actors. I think that's interesting that Shakespeare took that and made it. The play is called, you can check it out, it's called uh, Measure for Measure. And it was a comedy, and it all turns out well in the end. But it has a direct parallel with one of the passages of Scripture we're going to read today. Now, the idea of the scales of justice are universally understood. They are referred to in the Old Testament and also in Greek uh, philosophy throughout the days of Jesus. We are instructed to use, in this passage, use honest scales. What does that mean? What does it mean to use an honest scale? It means don't weigh one side down to lay a heavier burden on the other. Unfairly weighted scales were sometimes used to place an unfair burden on those who were trying to purchase something. So what you would do is you would say, this is worth such and such. They would put that on there, and then, but, the, but the scales over here were weighted too heavy, so they had to put more money on to level the scales. It's an undue burden. God said, don't do that, because the same scales that you use for other people will be visited back upon you. You will, you will not get away with it. Those scales will come back, and you will, and you will have to pay the same exorbitant price down the road. Leon Morris commentates this. 
that Jesus pictures a person who fixes his gaze on the speck. Something quite unimportant in someone else. And he does not notice what is much more significant in himself. The plank was a considerable piece of timber. It was used for a main beam in either the floor or the roof of a building. The meaning is not that every case the person passing judgment is a worse sinner than one he criticizes. It is rather that, we, that he finds wrong in his brother in the very small matter compared to the sin that God sees in him. See, God knows us. He knows who we are. And we love to pick on the little things in others when we have this plank that God can see in our own eyes. Think about the grace that had to be extended to you for salvation. For such a worm as I. God extended such grace. And he says, if grace has been given, extend that grace. The hyperbole effectively demolishes the position of the critic in a blaze of ridicule. Jesus is using a humorous method of bringing out the contrast between our excellence and picking up the faults of others and our myopia and discerning our own faults. Turn ahead a little bit in your Bible. Matthew chapter 18, because this is a great passage, a great parable that Jesus gives that talks about this. Think about the grace that was extended to you and how little grace we have for other people. See, we, we love grace. We, we love grace. How many people love grace? Well, yeah. When it's us, but we're very Reluctant to give grace when somebody else hurts us. All right, Matthew chapter 18, verse 23. This is a great story. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. Uh-oh. He wanted to settle his accounts with his servants. Okay, your debt has been called. When he began to settle accounts, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought before him. Since he did not have the money to pay it back, his master commanded that he, his wife, his children, and everything he had be sold to pay the debt. At this, the servant fell face down before him and said, be patient with me, and I will pay you everything. Listen to that line. Be patient to me, and I will repay everything. You're going to see in just a second how absolutely ridiculous that statement is. Then the master of the servant had compassion, released him, and forgave his loan. He didn't just get, wasn't just patient with him. He just didn't give him an extension. He forgave it. Now let me tell you what that looks like. Realize that 10,000 talents is 60 million working days. In modern, in modern money, it is $3.48 billion 
$1,000. Did you hear what he said? Be patient with me and I'll repay the whole thing. No, you won't. If you tried to service 4% interest on that amount, it would basically take $5 a second, every second, until you paid it off in 160,000 years. That is some kind of debt. That's like some country's national debts. Not ours, unfortunately, but. That's a huge amount of grace. Can you all agree that that's a big amount of grace? Okay, that's a big amount of grace. This guy should be like thrilled. Walking on cloud nine. Just smiling. I mean, we've done Financial Peace University in this church multiple times, and you should see the joy on people's faces when they've paid off their credit cards. When they're out of debt, credit card debt, they're like a little bit lighter. Imagine that kind of debt. So this is what, so this guy, he's excited, he's, he's full of grace, and he's going to go out into the world and extend the grace. Here we go. That servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he grabbed him and said, I forgive you your debt because I've been so forgiven. Unfortunately, that's not what he did. He grabbed him and started choking him and said, pay what you owe. At this, his fellow servant fell down and began to beg him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he wasn't willing. Instead, he went out and threw him into prison until he paid what he owed. A denarii was worth a day's wage for a skilled laborer, making the debt owed a little less than a third of a single year's worth of work. This is like nine months of work. That's it. As opposed to 160,000 years <laughs> that was owed by the fellow servant. And here's the trick. Here's the thing. I find this very interesting. If you, if you keep going, the money that he extended to this other person obviously wasn't even his. He had taken a loan from the king and had given out loans. So when that loan was forgiven by the king, everybody underneath him should have been automatically released because the debt was paid. There was no debt to repay. Do you see what's going on here? It's sick. But it's every day. The debt we owe is far more than 160,000 days of work, years of work or whatever it is. I don't know. I tried to do the math. Probably get like five emails today. That's not correct math. Deal with it. I actually got it from somebody else. So deal with them. But here's the deal. Our debt is more than that, yet we have a hard time extending grace to people. How can, we, how can we ever not extend grace to people in our lives? 
when we have been so freely given grace on a large scale. Verse 31, this is how it ends. When the other servants saw what had, been taken, had taken place, they were deeply distressed and went and reported to the master everything that had happened. Then after he had summoned him, his master said to him, you wicked servant. Now this is a parable that we're supposed to apply to our own lives. So here we go. You wicked servant. I forgave you all the debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you have also have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And because he was angry, his master handed him over to the jailers to be <clears throat> tortured until he could pay everything that was owed. We're talking 160,000 years of torture. So how do we, this is a, this is a huge over-exaggeration, kind of, not really, but the, the concept of us saying, listen, if we've been given that much grace, how do we, how do we, how do we hand out that grace to other people? Are we stingy? Like this guy was received grace enough to pay all of his debts. He should have extended that grace that was given through the king to him to the other people that owed him because his debts were wiped out. If he had received the money from that underling, he would have had more money than he started out with because he would not have had to pay that back. We're greedy. We're flawed. And God says, listen to me, folks. Extend grace. Because from the same measure, the same scales that you extend that grace, you will receive grace. So we should be ultimately gracious. Stop looking at the speck in your brother's eyes and start celebrating the wins in their lives. Instead of seeing the worst version of them, see the best version of them. And then help them grow closer to God through relationship and let the Holy Spirit do the convicting, the judging. Now, if you get into a relationship with somebody and you have that relational equity, where they, they've opened themselves up to your critique, I would say, even in that situation, be gracious. Be gracious. Don't take that for granted. Just say, you know, be gracious and, and say the truth that they want to hear because they have that relationship with you, but do it in a sweet way. Treat them well because God has treated you well. There's, I mean, we could go on, but that's pretty much it. So I'd say, the, what's the moral of this parable? What is the moral of this parable? Don't go into debt. That's number one. Don't owe a trillion or whatever, the, a billion dollars. Don't do that. That's bad. Also, we need to be grateful for the grace that we have received and spend our lives extending the grace love and compassion on those around us instead of standing in judgment. Grace and other good things. Ready for the other good things? Here we go. This guy's got a great name. Ben Worthington III. 
writes, Jesus exhorts the disciples to expect, ask, seek, even implore God for the good things one needs in life. But the proviso is that we are asking for things that glorify God and help us for God's good. We want to ask for God's good gifts. Let's read Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 through 10. It says this. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks the door will be opened. Who among you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask? Verse 12, therefore, whatever you want others to do to you, do also the same to them. For this is the law and the Bible. That's what we call the golden rule. Ask, seek, knock, implore. I think we're, we, we stumble along this verse for a couple reasons. We want to make sure we understand that this, this idea of asking, seeking, knocking is for the good gifts that God wants to give. What does he compare himself to in this these verses. He said, how many of you who have a son, right? So he's, he's comparing himself to a father. And not just an earthly father, which he, can, he talks about as being evil. Remember all the grace he had to extend? <laughs> that's, that's how he knows, <laughs> right? People who are just, if your son asks for bread, you're not going to give him a rock. And like, <laughs> sucker. Watch him. Watch him break his teeth on that rock. You're not going to do that. Or like, hey, Dad, I'm really, I'm really craving a fish. What kid says that? I don't know, but. And you're like, here's the one in the basket. You want it? Just kidding. You know, the, that's not what he does. He's not, he's not that way. So when we ask for the things that we need, we ask for the things that we want. I compare like the, the bread to being like the things that we need just to survive. And I think the fish reminds me of like something a little tastier than bread. I guess I liked fish back then more than we do today. But the concept is it's more. It's, 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 it's a little bit more. It's not just what we need. It's a little bit more. It's, a, it's, it's plussing it a little bit. Those are good things. And God wants to, that if you can do it, how much more can I do it? But here's, the, here's, the, here's an interesting question. If God being good, what if your son asks for a snake or decides he wants to start eating rocks? A good father is going to use a very simple word. No. 
No. I'm not going to give you rocks for your lunch. I am not going to give you a snake for dinner. I'm not going to do that because I'm a good father. So what does this do for us? This is absolutely freeing. Why is this absolutely free? Because you don't have to worry about what you ask for. Just ask. If he's a good father and it's a good thing for you, he's going to give it to you. If he's a good father and it's a bad thing for you, he's not going to give it to you. So our faith is in him, not in our own understanding. We say, God, I, 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 I think I need this. Well, it might be a fish, and it might be a snake, under your own understanding. But God knows, and he's a good father. So stop limiting yourself in your prayers because you don't know what to pray for. Just pray. There's absolutely nothing wrong in standing in this promise. Right? What is the promise? Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened unto you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks the door will be opened. There's nothing wrong with standing in that promise because God said it. And you don't have to worry. He's not going to give you the snake if it's not good for you. Ask big things. Ask for the big things. Seek after all that God has for you. Knock with confidence on your father's door. If for some reason you are in error as to the goodness of the, or the rightness of your request, don't worry. God won't give you bad things. Matthew 6.33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. This is just a last couple weeks ago. I think it was just last week we, t- we preached on this. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and what? It says, all things, these things will be added to you. What are the things that he's talking about? Remember, remember, just one week ago, remember? It was clothing, it was food, it was not only just like, like regular clothes, like rags. It was like Solomon in all of his splendor was not arrayed like, How can you think that he's going to give you just like the basics? He's a good father. He loves you. Now, I am not a proponent of prosperity doctrine. I I, I think that is, uh, I think it's a misunderstanding of scripture. But I will tell you this. My good father wants good things for his kids. Do you understand me? If you ask for a Ferrari, you might not get it. I don't know that it would be good for you. That might be the snake. But I'm telling you, he wants good things for you. The Bible is very clear about that. He doesn't just want you to survive. He wants you to thrive in this world. What if we just started praying like this? Right? What if we just, we sought after the righteousness of God and we let him shower us with the, the blessings of a good father. I mean, think about it. Even if you were 10% wrong, right? What if you, what if you asked for a snake 10% of the time or asked for a stone 10% of the time and he said no? What would your life be like if you had 90, 90% more blessings <laughs> that God wanted to give you? 
Think about it for a second. Even if you ask an error 10% of the time, start asking God for the good gifts that he wants to give you and seek after his righteousness, and he will be the good father that he has always been. The more we seek after God's righteousness, the less time we spend asking for rocks and snakes. James 1 says this, and this is talking about wisdom, but I think it applies to just the understanding of God's goodness. He says, but let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who, is, who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. What is he doubting? What is he doubting? Now, here's the thing. Often we read that verse and we say, I'm doubting that, you know, I'm asking for wisdom, but I doubt I'm going to get this wisdom. Or I'm asking for this, and I'm doubting I'm going to get this. That's not what, he, that's not what this verse is referring to. The question is, are you confident in God? Are you confident in God? Are you praying to a genie in a bottle, or are you praying to the almighty God? When you pray, you should pray confidently that the God who loves you is going to give you good gifts and he's not going to give you bad ones. Just pray. My kids ask me for things all the time. They don't always get them. They think they need them. They don't need them. They, don't, they just don't need them. Whenever they ask me, I don't, I'm a good dad, so, you know, I probably should give them that 12-gauge shotgun. But Dad, I need it. I know. Here you go. Don't put your eye out. I'm not going to give them a gun. Well, not at 13 at least. But here's the deal. My relationship is built by my kids coming to me with things that they feel I need. What do I do? Let's say Lincoln comes to me and asks me for something. I'm like, you know, that's not going to be good for him. That's not a good thing for him. I'm, he's not going to get what he asked for. But he is going to get dad. He's going to get my time. He's going to get my care. He's going to get my love. And he's going to get relationship. Now, the next time he comes, he might actually get the thing he wants. I don't know. If it's a good thing, I'm going to get it for him because I love him. I will actually go out of my way and sacrifice myself to give him good things. We recently came to a, a decision in our family that we wanted to put um, our two oldest kids in a private school, in a Christian school. Uh, There's some things going on in the public school that we weren't too excited about. Um, so we as a family made a decision that that's what we were going to do. And it's a good thing. And they're excited about it. It's a good thing. I'm telling you, it's not an easy thing. We're making certain adjustments to our budget and our way of life in order to make that thing happen because we desire as a family to give good things to our kids. That's me being a father who is evil in the, in the context of this passage. I, even a father who is evil, who is flawed, who has uh, sin in my life, know how to give and sacrifice on an epic scale for my kids. Imagine what God wants to do for you. So don't worry about it. Pray. 
not doubting your God. Don't pray for the thing. Pray to your God and trust that he knows what's best. N.T. Wright provides a helpful thought on Jesus' message in Matthew 7, 7 through 12. And he writes this. Does Jesus really mean that God is going to answer every request we make? That he is like a father longing to give his children what they want and need? Can we truly take him up on such a remarkable open-ended promise? I think sometimes our failure to believe such promises and to act on them doesn't come so much from a failure of faith in God, but from a natural human reluctance to ask. Where does that reluctance come from? Well, if I ask God for something and he doesn't give it to me, that might cause my confidence in God to diminish. So I don't want to put him to the test. Everybody ever feel that way? I don't want, this is a big ask. I don't know if I want to give this to God because if he doesn't come through, I'm, I, I don't know if I can trust him anymore. What? That's a weird statement when you start breaking it down. To ask for things, if, if pressed, they might say it is a selfish or that God had better things to do with this time than provide whatever we suddenly happen to want. Is then T. right? Well then, well that may or may not be true, but it would be a shame to tone down one's most sparkling and generous set of promises anywhere in the Bible. Maybe it isn't selfish to ask for things. Maybe it's just the nature, a natural thing that children are supposed to do with their parents. So think about this for a second. God has already given you the greatest gift of all, grace. He's already done that. There's nothing bigger that God could give you than grace. In fact, it costs him, I mean, I'm talking to you about Lisa and I working our budget around in order to send our kids to a, a Christian school because we have this, this, this thing that in our minds that this is going to be better for them. That's money. That's a budget. It's not my life. God gave his life to give you grace. It's the greatest gift he could ever give you through faith in Jesus Christ. But that doesn't mean he doesn't want to continue to bless us with every good and perfect gift. Every perfect gift. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, from God himself. So ask, seek, knock, implore your God who loves you for the things that you need and the things that you think are good for you. Pastor, that's not really wants, though, is it? I don't know. I'm pretty... Uh, we go pretty whole hog on Christmas in our house. The things my kids get on Christmas, they don't need. They don't need them. They're not bad for them, but they don't need them. It's just a joy for me to watch them open them up and see their faces. Oh, man, this is what I always wanted. I know. 
I've listened to you talk about it all year long. And if I'm an evil, if I'm evil, and I know how to give not only things that my kids need, like food, but also can enjoy them watching a, uh, them open a gift on Christmas morning, and I'm an evil one, imagine what your God wants to do. So ask, seek, knock. But here's the, here's the kicker. I don't think you can expect anything from God unless you're willing to extend grace as God does. Remember those, those weights, those scales? We've got to be careful. We want all these good things from God, yet we're not willing to extend grace and mercy and love to people around us. I don't think we can expect anything from God in that respect. I think our attitude towards people is very much connected to the way in which we live this life and how much God can bless us. Because here's the thing. If you're a vindictive, awful person and God gives you gifts, you're going to be a vindictive and awful on a greater scale. But if you're a gracious, loving, merciful person and he blesses you, that means that grace, love, and mercy is going to be extended to other people. The same weights in which you measure will be measured upon you. You see, the, you see how that works? See how that works? So realize what you've been given in the, in the area of grace, and then, man, give it out. Give it out. Think right now. Who is somebody that you're holding, withholding grace from? I know so I'm looking around the room and I'm thinking, I'm looking at some people, I'm going, I bet that person has nobody. <laughs> that's, how, that's how sweet that person is. I, I, there's some people in here, I'm like, there's, that person right there has nobody, and they're, and they're like, they're, they're, they're blank right now. They're like, I don't have, I have grace to everybody. And then there's the rest of us. Who can, who, can, who can come up with a short list? Hopefully it's short. If you, if you have to, like, write on the back of the paper, then you've got problems. We need to have a meeting. <laughs> we'll flip it over. I'm probably on that list, so maybe we don't. <laughs> but here's the deal. Think about, think about one person right now. Maybe they've hurt, hurt you in the past, or you've just been resentful because they've gotten blessings that you feel like you deserve. And that's why you're always picking on them. Even, not, maybe not even person. Maybe just in your own mind or behind their backs. Mm. Think about that. And just say to yourself, what would it take me today to realize the gift that God has given me in, in, in the immensity of his grace? How can I, to this week, extend grace to that person? How can I think about that person differently? How can I change the way I think about that person? We just read in a, little bit, a, few, a few verses before, in the last few weeks, how the Bible says we should love our enemies. Jesus is giving a, a whole list of things that are, should, be, should be so difficult for us that it should monopolize all of our time trying to accomplish these things that we have no time to judge other people. Let them deal with God on their own. I want to pray. 
and I want you to lay, lay that person, that situation, that, that attitude at the feet of Jesus today. And just say, God, take this away. Help me to extend grace. Help me to have a more graceful attitude. Help me to love people, even if they don't deserve it. And then, I encourage you this week, start praying big. And leave the goodness, the answer to your prayers, in the hands of a good God. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity we have to be today and here today and study your word. God, this is not easy stuff. This, goes, this cuts against the grain of our human sinful nature. And that's the whole point. And I'm a strong believer, Lord, that we can't do this in the natural. But by the power of your Holy Spirit, we can be a gracious, loving, caring people. Lord, you've modeled grace. You've modeled goodness. You want to give good gifts to your children. So, Lord, help us not to be held back by our own mental, emotional limitations, but to go to you with everything, knowing that you are a good father who has already extended the greatest gift of all to us. What is the, what is the other thing? This is easy for you. So, Lord, help us to be people who take the light of your glory, your grace, and reflect it to other people use honest, grace-filled scales. And those of us who are thinking about an individual or an attitude right now that needs to be healed and filled with grace, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would empower us to be able to put that into action this week. Help us to be a more gracious, 